the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Sam Robson with you. And Sam, another great weekend of J1 action to cover uh, on the pitch. Some interesting uh, selections from uh, Hajime Moriyasu off it. And uh, we get to welcome back a familiar guest to our airwaves, but one we haven't uh, had the pleasure of chatting to for a while. Yeah, very good to get this the guest back on. It was October, I think you said, the last time the three of us have got together. So, yeah, always good. He's delivered some gold already in the green room, which we can't really go into. But, um, yeah, it should be really interesting chat. Some good football over the weekend. A lot of the good teams doing very well. And Gamba getting a big victory and makes it a little tight at the bottom. And, yeah, Hadjime Moriato has actually picked a squad I quite like. So it's all gone on. Goodness gracious me. Well, uh, you will come to that very shortly. But, uh, yeah, they say good things come in threes and uh, for our guest he is now a uh, published author to rave reviews he's further established himself as a uh, youtube sensation in uh, hari sugiyama's absence and as of last week he's now one of uh, japan's newest permanent residents uh, we've sorted out the uh, the secret handshake in the green room so uh, he's uh, he's okay with that going forward it's a, a huge welcome back to the pod to sean carroll sean how are you um, I'm doing very well, thanks, mate. Thanks for that intro. It's uh, slightly overstated. Um, I'm not sure there's been many rave reviews for the book, um, and YouTube sensation is uh, yeah, not something that I ever uh, aim to be, or, or certainly don't think I am. Um, but yeah, permanent residency thing is certainly, uh, as as you'll know, and plenty of other people who who've been lucky enough to get it is is a huge weight off the mind after uh, you know it only took 14 years. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, as you said, it's uh, three things three good things at once so uh, i'm waiting for the uh i'm waiting for the crash back down to earth soon fantastic mate well yeah it's uh, terrific to have you back on and um well yeah just take us behind the scenes of the uh, the the youtube um the the recent episode that most of us have seen um when you were able to visit uh yokama f marinos's uh, new training ground i'm not sure if you bumped into Stuart woodwood there or not i think he does spend a lot of time uh, down I, there i did actually I did. Oh, yeah. We were the, the director wanted to try and get him on um, on the show. Um, um, well, I'll, I'll start at the beginning. Yeah, basically, we, the, as as people who live in Japan will know, or people who work with Japanese people will know, things tend to move at a, a snail's pace. Is maybe overdoing it. They tend to move quite slowly here, and things then get rushed along last minute. So we we'd done the show for a couple of years, and it had been all over Zoom um, during COVID. And then at the start of this season, I bumped into the the director at the kickoff conference at the JD Do and asked him if they were doing it. And he said, yeah, I think we'll be doing it. You know, I'm not sure yet. We'll let you know. Um, and then about a week before we went to the club, I was back in England, had to go back to England for something. And uh, yeah, while I was there, he phoned and said, yeah, we're doing it next week. We're going to the Marinos Clubhouse. And I thought, oh, great, that'd be good. And he sort of sent me the rough script. We're going to be speaking to these players. We're going to interview the manager and show the clubhouse. And I was like, right, OK, sounds good. Um, and then we got there and I was still a bit jet lagged and very tired because their training ground is a long way out. It's not it's not really in Yokohama. It's about another 45 minutes from Yokohama. It's in deepest, darkest Kanagawa. Mm. And um, about the time that I saw Stuart arriving and kind of gave him a wave and said, I'll, I'll chat to you in a bit, was just after I'd found out that I had to do all of a all of what I consider to be Harry's work the, the presenting and the talking to camera which I really uh, don't don't especially enjoy personally uh, I was I was just told that that's what I had to do and they 
gave me the script in Japanese and said, yeah, yeah, just say this. And, uh, you know, up, up the tempo a bit, make it exciting. And I was like, Christ, they they really don't know uh, who, who they've hired for this job. <laughs> they want it to be a, they want it to be a, yeah, high tension and exciting. Um, so, yeah, we got through that and then I wandered around. I think they managed to use a bit of it, but they gave me a, a GoPro to wander around with. And we did that. And then I got some quite good stuff because um, the players haven't come out yet for the training. So we got a bit of behind the scenes and the, the staff getting the pitch ready and all this stuff and a little bit in the kind of sort of locker room area. And then about five minutes later, we realized that no one had turned the thing on. So, so we hadn't actually recorded any of it. Hey, Joe. Um, um, but yeah, it was all it was all good fun. We got to chat to the some of the players. Uh, Kevin Muscat is always always good for a chat. Uh, gives you gives you some good answers. And uh, yeah, so it was nice from from a personal point of view. It was nice to just get out there um, after two or oh, almost three years of sort of not being able to speak to players and coaches that easily. Um, it was nice to to get back out. And yeah. Um, people have been quite kind with the the feedback. I got a few messages from people overseas saying that they'd seen it and liked it. For the first few weeks, I couldn't actually access it because it was geo-blocked in Japan, which I think mm. uh, I think was an error because I don't think it's supposed to be. I think someone just ticked the wrong box. Um, but yeah, it will be continuing this year. The next one will be out. Should be out fairly soon. Um, I went to the the Kashima Grampus game at, at National Stadium. Um, for the 30th anniversary celebrations um, and yeah did a few bits at the stadium and then me and Harry had a chat about about that game and, and the J-League in general in a pub uh, a couple of days later so I think they're putting it out as like a two-parter um, some point very soon um, and then yeah each month I don't know if I'll be on it every month it might be like sort of sometimes it will just be Harry sometimes it will just be me sometimes it will be both of us I think they're trying to mix it up a bit uh, but yeah, it's great. Um, so hopefully it'll be. I don't know if it would just be sort of around Canada or if they'll be. Uh, if they'll be sending us off further afield around the country too. But yeah, I think it's. Hopefully it's what sort of um, sort of J League watchers outside of Japan too are interested. I think it's you know it's good for them to see bits behind the scenes, sort of clubhouses and and action sort of from on on the the match we went to sort of you know speaking to fans beforehand and, and grabbing the coaches in the mix zone and stuff it's kind of you know, slightly different slightly different content that, that maybe they've the J League have sort of been putting out um, traditionally uh, yeah with the kind of shackles off as you said without Covid restrictions have you got any idea of the, the sort of areas you want to go in now you can do a kind of you've got all the access and whatnot is it player interviews is it um, maybe going out of get side of grounds for games what sort of content are you looking to uh, yeah really provide um well sadly i don't really get any say in what they do i just get told this is what we're doing um, obviously once we're once we're there like we, we spoke to the fans some of the fans ahead of the game and i kind of get a bit of um saying kind of what fans we chat to or like we spoke to some young like young sort of 10 11 11 year old boys kashima fans that were there and i kind of said to the director once we've done it oh we should definitely use that because they were kind of energetic and excited to be on on camera and stuff so i think yeah, it's it's always within the the bounds of what what the directors have have come up with and what the J League allow. Um, but I do personally, I like to yeah to speak to players and coaches and sort of uh, as much as possible, not not have too much of me talking and give them a chance to say things. I really like speaking to Miyagi because obviously he's got he's had such an interesting career and so many difficult 
things have happened with his injuries and stuff. And he was he was a really nice guy. And I think stuff like that is is good for people overseas to see. So personally, yeah, I like showing those kind of things. Uh, if if I could choose what they were doing, I'd love to kind of speak to to staff, you know, behind the scenes, the groundsman, the kit the kit man, or stuff like that. You know, people that are at the clubs um, behind the scenes, things like that. I think would be would be quite interesting. Whether yeah, whether the J League um, are considering those avenues, I don't know. But yeah, I just think, yeah, stuff that, as I said, people don't normally see. Because um, obviously these days, you know, fans overseas can can watch the highlights. You can catch clips. And there's so much stuff now that the J League are putting out on on their social media channels too in terms of the, the match action. That Yeah, for me, I quite like the idea of, of getting stuff behind the scenes. And yeah, so even stuff like, sadly, we, we couldn't find Stuart later on in the in the day at the training ground but stuff like that you know finding foreign fans that are over here following clubs or or people like that that work at the training grounds i think would be would be quite interesting to to hear their stories yep tremendous stuff tremendous stuff so yeah obviously you can check out uh sean's visit to the f marino's training ground on the uh, j league international youtube channel and uh, as uh, sean said yes much more to come from both him and Harry, I'm sure Harry rushed back to uh, to Japan after he saw Sean's uh, epic performance on the uh, on the F Marino's video. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you... <laughs> sure he rushed back and thought, Christ, I can't have my show going down the pan like this. <laughs> oh no, he's got to step up his game now, Harry. He's, uh, yeah, you've set you've set the bar very high for him, Sean. And uh, interesting, you mentioned uh, Miyaichi there, and it was a really good chat with him in in the video. Yes, he's uh, just made his return from his uh, his injury, hasn't he, last week, midweek in the Levain Cup, and yeah, he came off the bench uh, as well on Sunday uh, against Fukuoka in J1. All right, so uh, yeah, we did mention it off the top that Hajime Moriyasu has been to work in uh, in recent weeks, recent months, and um, well, yeah, he's come up with an interesting-looking squad, and well, Sam, you said you're a fan of it, so uh, that's breaking news in and of itself. I better come... Uh, come to you first on the the squad then we had three first time call-ups um i think all of them to some degree raised some eyebrows but interesting to see them all get their opportunities uh, Ryoya Morishita from uh, Nagoya uh, then uh, Takumu Kawamura and maybe the the most interesting one and uh, the biggest bolter from the blue is uh, Sota Kawasaki from Kyoto Sanga so um, your thoughts on those three, what they can bring to a Moriyasu squad. And if you like, you can um, either ask Sean for his thoughts on those players or segue on to the, uh, some of the returning stars uh, to the Samurai Blue squad, uh, Sam. Yeah, they, well, they were all very interesting. Obviously, Morishita is the latest cab off the rank, trying to sort the left-back position out for Japan. Obviously, Bangan Nagando was in the last one, got an injury as well, so he was out of contention. But he's played so well for... And Nagoya this season, he's very versatile, which is another thing that Moriyasu really pressed about this squad, that so many of these players can play in different positions. So I think he's a really good outlet on that left-hand side. There are very few defenders in the squad. They only named six, which was quite interesting from a Moriyasu squad. But yeah, I really like that one. And the midfielder ones are interesting. Like Kawamura has had, we've spoken about him pretty much every week. He's always involved. He's been quite unlucky with most of the things that he's tried this season. But yeah, very good player. I think he, it's interesting to give him an opportunity. And Kawasaki, uh, unheralded squad, really, at Kyoto. But I think he's quite clearly the best player in that squad. Very comfortable on the ball. Loves to progress the ball quickly. Very good in the tackle as well. So it's good to see him get a, a chance. The upcoming friendlies are maybe against slightly easier opposition, especially if you think of El Salvador, the first game. So it might be a way to kind of ease him into this squad. But I think it's a really interesting one. 
there may be a rather midfielders that I might have looked at otherwise, like Mitsuki Saito, I think, could get back into this squad. Um, Atsuki Ito would be another one. But I like that he's trying different players. He's giving players a chance, which is what these friendlies are, are all about. So, yeah, I really liked it. And then, Sean, a lot of people will be thinking about the players that have come in, to, come back into the squad, like so Kyogo Furuhashi, Ryo Hatate, uh, Scott McIntyre, but delighted that Kosuke Nakamura is back. So, yeah, what have you made of the kind of the reintegration of some of these players? Um, yeah, I think I think the point you made there is is right. These are not exactly strong opponents, but when you compare to the last two, it was against uh, Colombia and Uruguay, which are obviously a far far better opposition. Um, the Asian Cup obviously isn't still for another eight months or so, seven yeah seven eight sure six seven months now. Um, so there's still a while until kind of competitive action comes back um so i think yeah moriasu's got a bit of freedom to as you said to try out some different options and i feel like um yeah i feel like although they are as you said coming back in i feel like people like furuhashi is is kind of giving them a chance in a in a not very high pressure um, and not against especially strong opponents just to kind of see i think obviously moriasu's come on coming for a lot of criticism for as all national team managers do, but, you know, for who they pick or who they don't pick, everyone has got their opinions or their agendas or whatever about, about who should or shouldn't be in the squads. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, it's, it's not just the matches. Obviously he gets the players for, for a week or so. He gets to see them in training. He gets to see how they react to his, his methods, how they respond to the other players, how they apply themselves, all these different things that, that, you know, we don't, we don't get to see really, um, you know, even the media that, that get to go to training or, or speak to players and coaches, you, you don't really get to see much of that, that sort of behind the scenes, the team building stuff. Um, yeah, Kosuke Nakamura, I mean, I, I have to admit, I, I haven't seen much of him. I don't watch any of the Portuguese league, but I've, I've seen good things. I've seen that he's been seemingly doing well. He's really sharpened up his image shaved head and the beard looks looks incredible so yeah as you scott mcintyre will be delighted that he's back and, and looking menacing um furuhashi obviously um as you said is, is probably the standout just you know for the you know the awards he was winning in in scotland this year the goals he's scoring I'm, I'm still not convinced that he fits um moriesu's style um but i i do think yeah when you look at the the strikers who have been named by Moriasu in, in recent months and years, you know, he he's worth a place in, you know, if, if the World Cup was coming up in a few months, you, you'd have to be in the squad, you'd think. He's, he's worth having in the squad for, for his scoring abilities. Um, yeah, Kawamura and, and Kawasaki, as you said, are kind of unheralded, perhaps. Um, they both, I saw them a few years ago when they were down in J2. I think Kawamura was on loan at Ekime for a, for a bit and looked clearly far, far too good for for that level, even when he was there as a as a youngster, um, and Kawasaki, as soon as as soon as Chalky J took over at Kyoto Sanga, uh, he was he was straight into the team. Um, so yeah, and Chalky J obviously, you know, knows a thing or two about about helping to develop players. He, a few of the players that he had at Shonan years ago, I think Wataru Inda was probably one of them as well. Um, Miki Yamane might have been there under Cho. He might have come through a little bit later. I'm not 100%. But yeah, he obviously knows a, a player and, and how to develop them. So Kawasaki, yeah, as you said, he's Kyoto are not putting up too many trees at the moment in the league. But um, he is a, a sort of a well-rounded player with, with plenty of potential. Um, the six defenders is odd. Um, 
and yeah, especially as you know, like Morista is not really a left back. He plays sort of a left wing back. Nagoya played three at the back. So if Moriasu is looking at this and thinking of playing three at the back, pretty much only got Sugawara for the right, Morista for the left, and then four centre-backs to fill the three positions over two games. So it's a slightly odd odd one. And I, I do wonder if maybe they're going to Maybe they're going to add a, a player or two after the the next round of J-League games. I'm not sure. It looks sort of quite an unbalanced squad. Um, but yeah, like, you know, the big names are, are still in there. Mitoma, Doan is in there. Uh, Kubo, yeah, Kubo's in as well, isn't he? Yeah. So yeah, the big names are in. And and what's interesting is the the sort of the older names again are out. You know, no Yoshida, no Nagatomo, no Sakai. Um, so it does really seem like maybe Moriyasu is doing what he did when he first came in um, and took over before that, the Asian Cup in 2019. He really did perform quite a shift from the, the previous World Cup squad. Um, so maybe he is, maybe he has kind of seen the previous World Cup as that's that's the full stop for that generation. He's now trying to to blood the next, the next crop for the next World Cup. Mm, it's interesting. And I mean, yeah, uh, speaking about the three players that have come in, for the first time, well, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the likes of uh, Takuma Nishimura, who was in the uh, the last squad, uh, he hasn't been called up again. I presume not um, not necessarily form based because he's still you know playing regularly with F Marinos and contributing to their success up towards the table. Maybe uh, yeah, Moriyasu just uh, saw what he needed to from him and has decided to move on to a couple of different players and yeah, maybe each each friendly squad. Uh, going forward, he'll he'll blood another couple of players. I, I I don't know. As I said in the green room, it's um it's a fool's errand I think trying to get into his head because uh, before the last squad announcement, he basically in a not so subtle way um explained why Furuhashi, Hatate, etc. weren't in the um weren't in the in the the setup, and then lo and behold, in the next squad. He, he's included both of them. Uh, I'm, I mean, yeah, maybe he had an agreement, a gentleman's agreement with Ange Postacoglu that he wouldn't call uh, all of the Celtic contingent up, or at least the, the you know, the inverted commas big names. Um, but uh, well, I yeah. think also there's the there's I think there's one good point about it is you know if you can if you have three four Kirin Cup opportunities throughout the year and you can add two or three different players each time and not call them up every time which was the complaint often of, of Halil Hodzic and uh, Zaccaroni, where they would just call the same players all the time. Mm. Um, and then if you did have to bring someone new in, maybe they'd be overruled or they wouldn't quite know how to fit in with the team and it would take a while. If you can bring in over the course of the sort of two and a half, three years of qualification for the World Cup, if you've got 10, 15 players who've already been there, they've been in the national team, they've dealt with the media pressure of that the coverage then or once you've been in the national team squad once you're back with your club you're then viewed differently by the domestic media by your fans if they can adapt to that slightly and only you know Nishimura might only get called in once or twice a year but if he happens to be informed when it comes to the Asian Cup or the World Cup and he's in it's not then going to be a shock to his system to be involved with the national team and all that comes with it so I think there's that aspect and I think also when it comes to Moriyasu's comments or any coach's comments, any player's comments, you always have to take into account the fact that they're only making those comments because someone's asked them about it. He might not, he might not have felt the need to address why he wasn't calling up Furuhashi or Hatate. Like every manager has their ideas of of the kind of team they want and and the kind of players they want to involve at that time. So 
you know, if they're asked by a by a a, me, a journalist or you know a TV station whatever about a certain player, they're going to have to say something, um, and then that comment might get taken slightly out of context. It might get blown up. It might get misinterpreted. Um, you know, he he can only call up sort of twenty five between twenty five and thirty players for a squad, and, and Japan is now blessed that it has far more players that are, are good enough to be involved in the national team than there are places. So. Um, yeah, it could be, as you said, he could have just had an agreement behind the scenes that, yeah, during the season, he's not going to disrupt. I, I wouldn't have thought so personally. I think he'd still want to know. And, he's, you know, he'd, he'd seen Hatate and Furuhashi enough. They'd had opportunities in World Cup qualifiers, in the Olympics as well. Hatate was involved. And so, uh, yeah, I think he knows what, what kind of player they are, what their potential is. Um, but now, yeah, now he's going to have a good week or so with them. They're going to get opportunities, um, and it's, it's then up to them to show him not not just in the games, but but in training and, and everything else that comes with that being on national team duty and representing Japan that that they're you know they're worth him considering longer term. Yeah, no, fair enough then. All right, so it's uh, El Salvador at uh, Toyota Stadium in Aichi on the fifteenth of June, and then Peru at Panasonic Stadium Sweeter uh, five days later. And, um, yeah, obviously we'll be around those games uh, closer to the, uh, yeah, the playing of them. And, uh, yeah, a very interesting squad. Uh, one more uh, before we leave it, Sam. Has he called up the correct Asano? Oh, no. Well, Kuma's his friend. Sorry. He just has to come along just to really support him, I suppose, and any adventure that Moriasu goes on, Takuma Asano has to be there. But yeah, there were definitely shouts, weren't there, for uh, Sapporo's Asano to be, be involved. He's been fantastic this season, but it's just a position that Japan have so many good players in. It's so difficult to break in. But yeah, maybe one of these days, one of these squads he gets in, especially if he can, continues his form, because you could argue Ryotaro Ito could be another one that could have taken that position. So yeah, just a wealth of options, which is just it's great to have. Yeah, I reckon one of these days Moriyasu will just sneak a Y Asano in instead of T Asano and hope that people don't notice. But um, yeah, th- uh, speaking of gentlemen's agreements, it does seem like, yeah, uh, Takuma is almost guaranteed a, a spot in each and every Moriyasu squad. All right, then. So uh, let's get to action on the pitch from uh, J1 Match State 15. Gentlemen, uh, last week we uh, went basically from uh, the bottom up. This time uh, we're going from the top down, and we'll start with leaders of Vissel Kobe, who uh, defeated FC Tokyo 3-2 at home on Saturday. Uh, the host, Vissel, they threatened to run right, and it could have easily been 4 or 5 by half time. Uh, but uh, ultimately, it was a 3-0 heading into the sheds after a brace from former Tokyo star Yoshinori Muto that uh, I have to admit, gents, this is a really, really tough watch for me. Um, I don't get to watch too many games live uh, these days, and I was uh, yeah, questioning my choice of uh, doing so at halftime uh, on Saturday. I thought about going for a very long walk uh, with my dog, but uh, ultimately stuck through and uh, well, saw Tokyo score two penalties to somewhat make the game interesting. I think if we was, they were still playing now, as we record at half 10 on Monday night, Tokyo wouldn't have scored from open play, but uh, they might have had uh, three or four more penalties by now. Who knows? But um, yeah, I'll tell you what, Sam, this was um, 
absolutely stunning at times from Kobe in the first half. Uh, Muto opening the scoring in the 20th minute, and it took a couple of stunning saves from Jakub Slovic to keep it at 1-0 before a, a quick-fire double uh, from Osa- Yuya Osako, and then Muto again in the last five minutes of the first half. And, um, yeah, Tokyo looked like training cones at times. Oh, yeah, absolutely it is. And we're just talking about the national team squad. I know he's probably moving away from the older generation, but Osako and Muto, I mean, they're in such good form. They've been incredible together. The link-up player that they have, they know exactly where each other's going to be, and they are just playing fantastically, and they've ripped Tokyo apart at times in this game. I mean, Tokyo didn't help themselves. Some of the passing out from the back was pretty awful. Oh, Jakub Slovic yeah. had, like, a very interesting game because he kind of wanted to be tested, I think, because he kept giving the ball away, kept playing out. But then he did make some very good saves to redeem himself. But yeah, Tokyo really poor at the back. I thought that all of that back line, they were just so static in the way that they reacted to anything. And then like turning circles of like large trucks or something, it was just so easy to play through them. But Kobe were magnificent. They won the ball high so often in the, with that midfield of Saito and Yamaguchi. And once they played it into either Yuriki or Sako or Muto, it was just, they were just so dynamic. They cut through Tokyo. And as you said, it could have been five or six at halftime. Yeah, and Sean, well, this is this is the first time we've had you on during the, the season proper this year. So um, basically, Kobe have gone from the foot of the table the last time we spoke uh, at the end of October to, um, yeah, topping the pile this year, and uh, obviously we've had uh, other guests on who have, um, you know, tried to give their thoughts on how they've managed to do it. And Sam's talked about their makeshift defence on so many occasions. But yeah, I think uh, a lot of the credit does have to go to the the midfield, especially Saito and Yamaguchi, and then yes, they're keeping Muto and Osako, and indeed Koya Iruki as well. Fit has um, has seen yeah Kobe. Uh, work wonders and and turn things around. Well, I guess just play as well as we expected them to all of last season as well. But this year they've actually been able to do it on the pitch. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, it's obviously when something like this happens, there's so many factors. It's just, you can't really just point to one thing and then they they all combine. And then once the team is built with, you know, once they've got the confidence going. Uh, you, you see it so often in Japan. Once the team is confident, I mean, if you look at Kashima Antlers now, for instance, they lost about five, six, seven games in a row, looked terrible, looked like Yamasa was going to be fired any second. And then they won one, and then they they won five in a row and didn't concede. Now they're unbeaten in seven. So it does happen in the J-League. And I think what will be interesting is when Kobe do take a knock, if they do go two or three without a win, how do they they recover? Um, Because right now, as you said, the confidence is flowing. Obviously, having Osako and Muto both fit and confident is big because I think they're both confidence players. Um, they both had times in Europe when they were struggling and obviously it wasn't just, you know, they always had the ability, which they'd shown when they were younger in the J-League. Um, and they both had injuries as well in Europe as, as well as when they came back to Japan. Um, but I think the overall thing is that it's it's now a team that has been built. And as you said, someone like Mitsuki Saito is not necessarily a big name. But he was brought in to play a particular role. Um, you know, Yoshida, the manager, Yoshida's comments um, about, you know, Iniesta saying basically that he's he's heading off because he wants to play and the coach has other ideas. I think that is 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 incredible that the coach is saying, look, you're not whenever anyway, anyone could see it last season when Kobe were doing well. It was when Iniesta wasn't playing. 
because he slows everything down. And the way they want to play is, as Sam said, it's that pressing from the front with, with Yamaguchi inside. So it's, it's, it's high paced, it's quick. And that is not what Iniesta is, is capable of doing now. Um, so the fact that Yoshida has, you know, has had the, you know, the, the balls, if you want to put it that way, to, to not play Iniesta once he's back again, to, to, to ignore that pressure, to put him straight back in and say, look, the team is doing well. The team is now built to do, you know, if you look at you know, Kawasaki dominated the J League for, for so long. And that was, a you know, the, the players that did that went on to become big names and play for Japan and go to Europe. But they came through pretty much the youth team or from, from high schools, universities. And Oniki built a team with these players to fulfill a role. And now Kobe, the players that are playing are, are in there to fulfill a certain role and they know what they're doing. There isn't an Iniesta or a Podolsky or a Villa or a Vermalen even, like a big name that that is in there kind of how do you put it not not messing things up because obviously they're still good players but i i remember speaking to to a, a former Kobe player recently about Iniesta and, and asking him like look was was there ever a point where you kind of felt like you know if Iniesta's on the pitch and calling for the pass you kind of have to pass to him because it's Andres Iniesta even mm. if it's not the right pass and the player kind of tried to dodge the question and said, oh, you know, not really. But the look he gave me was, yeah, you know, obviously you, you can't help but be starstruck even when you're a teammate. And I think that obviously affects things. When when the players are all on there and you, you pick the right pass as opposed to the pass because you've got a, a former Barcelona player there. So I think now they're a, they're a proper team um, who are playing with, a, with a, you know, an understanding of, of what they're trying to do. Um, but I do think, yeah, what, we're still only not quite halfway into the season. The, the league is not going to be won yet. Um, and there are enough teams still within reach that, you know, if Kobe can keep playing like this, and then Sam's touched upon it a few times in the pod, but, you know, players like Yuki Honda or, or players that have come in are not necessarily players that you'd have looked at at the start of the season and gone, hang on a minute, this looks like Kobe are finally going to click. Um, so once they do hit a, a speed bump or two, are they going to be able to to ride them out and and see it through once the pressure starts to build? If Osako gets injured, if if Saito is out for a spare, if somebody goes to Europe and suddenly upsets the rhythm, if Mikitani suddenly decides, you know what we need now, Iniesta's gone, we need to sign someone else from Barcelona, then you know, it's it's such a, a sensitive situation when it comes to winning leagues. Uh, it's it's all very well being top. At this point of the season, as as Arsenal fans will will attest to, um, but it's it, it's staying there and and maintaining that composure at the the business end of the season. Um, at the minute, they absolutely look like they're capable of doing it, but I, I do still think it's early, and we'll we'll get a clearer idea once yeah once they do suffer a setback or two. Uh, yeah, well, from what you know of the way Mikitani has run Kobe, and once Iniesta goes, a bit of money burning in his pocket, do you see him making that move, trying to get in a, a, another star name that then, then can disrupt it? Or do you think there is a chance that he looks at the squad? Yeah, because it's still got a few holes and it still needs some depth, and they can invest that money wisely. Yeah, which way do you think Mikitani goes? Um, I mean... That's yeah. like trying to get into <laughs> Moriyasu's head, isn't it? Well, no, I don't, I don't think... It, I don't think... It, I think it's... Yeah, you... Looking at how he's run the club so far, and clearly um, he doesn't appear to have much of an idea of of how football actually works. 
you you would think that yeah, now that Iniesta's gone, he is going to think, oh god, we need to we need to bring in a big name because people aren't going to be coming to the stadium anymore. So I, I can absolutely see him doing something stupid like that. Um, but on the flip side, the fact that he has let the manager, you know, essentially from from what I you know read in between the lines of, of Iniesta's comments, you know, he, he might have stayed if he was being played enough. So the fact that Mickey Tani has allowed that situation to arise and and has allowed essentially Yoshida to to win and and say this is the team that's doing well and the reason it's doing well is because we're not having to shoehorn in um, the artist formerly known as Iniesta. The fact that Mickey Tani has let that happen would suggest that perhaps uh, he's maybe finally uh, realised that perhaps his skills are best used elsewhere and when it comes to the actual running of, of the team, it's, it's maybe worthwhile to listen to those who who are um you know who are paid to do that so i i'd be i would be surprised personally bearing in mind you know iniesta is going if he was to do something like that but at the same time i wouldn't be i wouldn't be massively shocked if if someone did rock up um in the middle of the season to to derail everything all right then fair enough so uh yeah kobe running out deserved three two victors um there's yeah, really no point um Discussing FC Tokyo because they're an absolute afterthought after, uh, well, not just after Saturday. They were down in 11th. And, um, yeah, I don't think they're going to be particularly noteworthy for, um, yeah, much of this season, to be honest. And as I said, they uh, if they were still playing now, I'm sure they wouldn't have scored from open play. And uh, we will leave that there. Uh, as I said, a deserved win for Kobe. Then on Sunday, second-placed Yokohama F. Marinos hosted Fukuoka at the Nissan Stadium. And, uh, well, Sean, this was uh, over uh, in terms of goals, after 20 minutes, uh, a, a, a quick-fire brace from Anderson Lopez. He opened the scoring in the eighth minute, and then, yes, in the 20th minute, uh, a lovely finish across Masaki Murakami. Um, there were, uh, yeah, plenty more chances for F. Marinos. They were unable to add to their two goals, uh, two early goals, though, and uh, Fukuoka did have a late goal ruled out for uh, for offside. Uh, a Wellington volley was uh, disallowed. But um, yes, as I said earlier, the F. Marinos faithful uh, were able to uh, welcome Rio Meichi back. Uh, he came off the bench for the last 12 minutes to add uh, further to their attacking riches. Their, uh, yeah, obviously Anderson Lopez stealing the headlines with the two goals. But uh, Jan Mateus has become increasingly influential in recent weeks and uh, was driving them forward with regularity down the right. So, uh, yeah, that's all the rest of the J-League needs, isn't it? A, a, a fit Miichi coming back into the picture to just give uh, Kevin Muscat even more options. Yeah, I think that is the... It's kind of linked to what I said about Kobe before, but Kobe are leading the pack at the moment. But there, there are a couple of other squads you look at um, where you just think, yeah, they they've got the potential to to kick on and keep pushing and keep pushing, and yeah, Marinos front in almost front six seven. They've just got so many players there who, if one does drop out of form, I mean, Kota Mizunuma's kind of dropped out of the picture lately. Um, but, you know, you've still got him in reserve. Elbez dropped off the pace a little bit, as I'm no to my own uh, disappointment because he's still in my fantasy team. I might have to finally ship him out. Mm. Um, he's he's stopped delivering as much with the, with the goals and assists, but yeah, Miyaichi's back. Um, and I kind of I kind of said to him when when I spoke to him at the training ground, like you know, obviously he's coming back from another injury. He didn't want to rush, but I said you know, did it was almost as if he could come back 
midway through the season, it is almost like another signing. Jan Mateus as well was was a bit part player, really, until very recently, and has suddenly come through and shown that he's really capable of uh, of doing, you know, doing some very very good stuff in the final third. So when you've got them, you've still got Marcos Junior who stuck around despite becoming sort of uh, the backup almost to, to Nishimura for the last season, season and a half. You've got so much depth in those final positions and having someone like Miyaichi as well now coming back in as well. Um, yeah, Anderson Lopez, I mean, you never thought you'd say this, did you really? But if he was to get injured, maybe then there's a, there's a, there's a hole to fill, but um, can you Sugimoto? Maybe, I don't know, possibly, <laughs> possibly, uh, you know, he's got, he's got potential. He was in the Olympic squad in, a, in 2012, maybe one to watch. If he's um, the answer, you don't want to know the question. Well, I was, you say that, but then as I, as I sort of started that point with, you know, Anderson Lopez, yeah. I never, ever thought he would be considered as, you know, the, the unmovable number nine for, for the best or, you know, well, the reigning champions that one of the best two or three teams in J1. Um, he's, he's become very consistent and he, he does the job that is required. So maybe Ken, you could come in and, and do something similar. I, I do like um, Uenaka that was at Nagasaki last year. I, I certainly don't think he's ready to be leading the line, but, you know, he, he was a decent player. He did good, good finishing instincts. So in a team that make as many chances as, as Marinos do, um, you know, if you're a, if you're a clinical striker, you you know, there are probably not many better teams to be in. So until that happens, you won't know. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. An embarrassment of riches in attack for Marinos. And as you said, not not many other J-League teams will be happy about that. You look at other teams, you know, that are down in the slightly further back. And, you know, uh, what Urawa Reds don't really have anywhere near that um, choice. Kashima Antlers the same. Kawasaki certainly don't at the moment. So yeah, it leaves them very well placed, I think, to to make a, a serious challenge to to defend their title. Yeah, and uh, all business then, Sam, for F Marinos on Sunday, and uh, I mean Fukuoka, uh, you know, uh, gave as good as they got at times, and were able to um, yeah fashion a few chances themselves, but uh, a comfortable enough uh, Sunday afternoon out for the uh, for the F Marinos faithful, and as I hoped for last week, they got some uh, some nice weather to sit through as well. Yeah, yeah, it was rarity actually this season, isn't it, in Yokohama? But uh, yeah, they they just played perfectly to, against Avispa. You have to take the lead early because if Avispa can settle in and uh, you know, be confident in their backline, they will sit in. They'll usually grind out draws. They've been able to grind out uh, results all season. But if you're taking the lead inside the first ten minutes, it's perfect for them because Avispa have to come out and then they're not completely comfortable in doing that and more chances come your way you want it to be an end-to-end game against Avispa and that's kind of what it turned into I thought Marinos yeah started really well so quick because they've not always started games as well as they had in previous years it's not it's rare that they've been able this season to get a full 90 minutes of playing properly and playing as we know and expect but this time yeah get it done in that first 20-30 minutes they were very very good and the game was pretty much over once they went 2-0 up and yeah it was a really professional performance Avispa gave uh, yeah they had a go I think they were slightly unfortunate with the goal that was disallowed it's one of those with the the player in front of the goalkeeper sort of it was at least in the six yard box not uh, didn't touch the ball but interfering with play they weren't 
particularly happy with the decision, but probably fair. And yeah, Visper, I don't think, did enough in the end to warrant anything from the game. So a really good professional performance from F. Marinos, and I agree with everything that Sean said. It is just, if Anderson Lopez... Uh, gets injured, what do they do then? Because with the greatest respect, Sugimoto hasn't done anything for about six years, so I'm not banking on anything coming from him. And uh, yeah, but it is good. Miichi back, really important because it once and Mateus's form as well, because Nakagawa and Leo Ciara was so crucial to the way they won the title last year because they always had that backup. They always had someone that could slot in. And without those two, there was a, yeah, it was a missing link really in their attack. And, yeah, Mateus has done really well. So if they could maybe get in a striker in the summer, that might be something that takes them over the edge. Because at the moment, I think one injury to Anderson Lopez would be a, yeah, a real difficult one to come back from. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, yeah, I mean, we were surprised when they let Ciara uh, go. But, um, yeah, whether they will actually go into the market <clears throat> excuse me, and try and get a different striker in uh, in the summer, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, an interesting situation to monitor, I think. And, um, uh, yeah, would be an indication of uh, how complete Muscat sees his squad. So, uh, yeah, we'll watch uh, we'll watch that particular space with interest. Of course, yeah, I guess an injury or two could crop up in the meantime that would force their hand. But uh, we'll wait and see. So, uh, yes, both Kobe and F. Marinos uh, taking the three points over the weekend, as indeed did the rest of the top five at kickoff. Uh, Nagoya, Hiroshima and Cerezo Osaka uh, also claimed uh, all three points that were uh, available to them and uh, in the case of uh, third placed Nagoya well they got off to a rip-roaring start uh, Sean in a game that uh, I know that you watched uh, live uh, from your couch of course uh, I hope you were, uh, had already um, sat down and cracked your first beer of the afternoon as uh, Sapporo and uh, Nagoya kicked off the uh, the round on uh, Saturday lunchtime up at the Sapporo Dome and I hope you didn't miss Kasper Junker's goal after just uh, 27 seconds um, I did miss it, actually. I did. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, daily games never start on time, do they? It said one o'clock, but you know that usually means one o four or one o three and forty seconds. Or um, so I had the coffee on, um, and by the time and Dazone, I, I watch it on um, on what's it called Prime on the TV because mm. I'm old, so I don't like watching stuff on my uh, on my laptop or my tablet or anything. So I like to have it on the TV, and it always takes a while to load. So by the time I got it set up. Um, I think by the time I put it on, they were showing the replays. Um, I wasn't too disappointed because I've got uh, I've got Casper Junker in my fantasy team as well. So mm. uh, that yeah, I wasn't too too annoyed about it. Um, but yeah, and again, I think kind of linked to what you said about Marinos wanting to score first against against Sapporo from from a neutral point of view. If if Sapporo go behind, well, actually, I don't know, it doesn't really matter with Sapporo, does it? They're not, their games are normally going to win with about eight goals, but. Yeah, if they go behind, you know, then Petrovic is going to say, right, we'll, we'll just go to one at the back and we'll, we'll commit some men forward and see what happens. Uh, so it's always good. Yeah, it's always good then when you know that it's going to be a fairly open game, especially uh, because Nagoya are the kind of team, you know, they're probably the worst team to go one nil behind to because they're so, especially now they've got Kenta Hasegawa as well. They're just so, you know, they're so happy then to go, well, OK, we'll just ride out 89 minutes and, and play for the one nil. Um, it set up an interesting battle then because, yeah, Sapporo are one of the most sort of attack-minded and, and Grampus are so happy to sit and defend. So it, it set it up as a, an interesting contest then. Um, and sadly, Kaneko, who I've, I've got a gripe about this because he was in my team as well. 
and then these stupid price changes that come in every so often. Mm. I looked about I looked about three hours before kickoff suddenly and was told I had about minus six in my budget. Um, so I had to ship him out. There was just no one else I could justify. And since then, I think he scored about 19 goals and got about 14 assists. So, um, and it took away my clean sheet for Morishta. So I was not not best pleased about that goal. Um, but yeah, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, absolutely. And well, there's a little bit of a running battle between uh, Kaneko and Mitch Langerak. Uh Sam, it, uh, it did take a while, but Kaneko did finally uh, uh, beat the Australian goalkeeper with the uh, five minutes to go. But uh, yeah, Kaneko almost one-upped Juncker. Uh, he uh, tried to beat uh, Langerak uh, very, very early in the second half, indeed after just 22 seconds, but uh, the Aussie keeper uh, tipped over. Uh, but uh, yeah, as his um, Sapporo's want, uh, this was an entertaining game at times, but as uh, Sean said, yeah, Nagoya usually try and keep it as dull as possible. So it, it was kind of the uh, immovable object versus the irresistible force. And um, at the end of the day, as well, I've already spoiled it, haven't I? I've said that all of the top five won. Uh, Nagoya have run out 2-1 victors, I guess, m- well, mainly thanks to an absolutely stunning strike 10 minutes into the second half by Mateus. Yeah, lovely goal. Mateus has not been at his best this season. He's been overshadowed, really, by the combination of Nagoya and Juncker, which was so good for that first goal. Nagoya's pass, he turned into Andrea Pirlo for it. It was fantastic. Uh, but, yeah, Mateus got in on the act. Morris stood down the left-hand side, celebrating his national team call-up. A lovely ball across, and Mateus just meets this into the top corner. It's a really well-taken goal. And, yeah, it just allowed Nagoya to then settle into the way that they want to be. They want to sit deep. They don't give away too much and then the rest of that second half was just Sapporo dominating possession and they were getting closer and closer and closer and closer and they finally broke through the uh, Nagoya ranks because it's so difficult with the way that they set up and then to have Langerak in behind them so it's just took them a long while to get through they eventually did like so many good players in that Sapporo team with Ogashiwa, Asano, Kaneko all working together and they finally managed to break and uh, Nagoya down set up a little bit of a grandstand finish but in the end Nagoya just too good defensively and just about held on but I thought this was a really intriguing game and uh, yeah both t- teams can come away from it thinking they played quite well but Nagoya just about had that mouse to get over the line. Yes indeed so um, yeah Reds have uh, jumped above uh, both uh, Sapporo and uh, Antlers with uh, their win that we'll come on to shortly but uh, yeah no uh uh, no, no face lost. I don't think by uh, Sapporo. They were, they stayed true to their methods, and um, yes, yeah, Kaneko getting their goal late on, but it wasn't quite enough. Even though he uh, certainly tried to rev the crowd uh, into a frenzy in the last five minutes. All right, well, let, let's do the next two games together then. It's uh, Hiroshima beating Shonan one nil at home, and then on Sunday, uh, Cerezo beat Yokohama FC. 2-0. So for uh, visiting Kanagawa teams, it wasn't uh, the best of weekends, it must be said. Um, Sam, the uh, yeah, I think Seanan can feel hard done to by uh, the officiating at the Edeon Stadium, in particular the red card for a uh, Fakorki Tachi in the 13th minute. Uh, but after that, uh, with the yeah Hiroshima 
coming up against 10 men for basically the last 80 minutes. Familiar uh, struggles for them to break down a resolute opponent. And, um, yeah, some more fortune for the hosts when uh, there was a penalty awarded against Daiki Sugioka for handball inside the last 15 minutes, and that was dispatched by Douglas uh, Vieira. But, um, yeah, that was basically looked like the only way through for Hiroshima on another frustrating afternoon in front of goal for them. Yeah, as soon as they uh, shown and went down to 10 men, you could have got very, very short odds on it being 1-0 Hiroshima after about 30 shots, and that's kind of what it turned out to be. I thought the refereeing in this game was an absolute disgrace. That is no, there's no chance that is a red card. He's It's a late challenge, but he's not leading with his studs. It's very low. He's even sort of pulling out from it. You could imagine some referees would give no card at all. Most would say, yellow, absolutely fine. There's no way this is a red card. And I don't know what the VAR's doing. It doesn't bother to check it. Or if it does check it, it thinks it's okay. I think that's a terrible decision. And the penalty as well, I think, is really poor. It's shot into Sugioka's uh, armpit slash chest. It's not a handball. Yes, his arm's raised, but it doesn't hit it. So I don't think that was a penalty. I think two really big decisions went completely against Shonan, both checked by VAR. And I can't come to a conclusion why... Uh, both of those decisions were upheld. And Sean, can you uh, shed any light on that? No, I'm, I'm in full <laughs> agreement. I think one one thing I would say is I think both both decisions from certain angles, I can see why the referee gave them. One of the angles um, for the for the red card does look quite bad at, at first first viewing, um, and the same for the penalty. Obviously, it happens so quickly. If the referee from the referee's angle and his arm is up. Um, I can see I can see why the referee gave the initial decisions. I cannot see why the VAR hasn't said to him, "Ah, oh, no, mate, sorry, you know, come and have a look at this." You, you know, his, his feet are on the ground; it's not a red. And with the penalty too, I mean, Sugioka's response was—it's weird now because you get this point where you know when VAR first came in, players are just livid at the referee. And we've now players are so used to it that you almost get this thing where they're looking at the referee and laughing and saying, in a minute, you're going to see why it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And when he had that look where he almost didn't, he was almost thinking, well, it's not going to be a penalty. It's fine. Um, and it was, yeah, I was absolutely amazed when um, when the, the graphic came up on the screen and just said, you know, check complete penalty. I was just thinking, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how. Um, and yeah, same for the red card, but the, but the penalty too. It was just I, I don't understand how the VAR hasn't just gone. No, no, that's that's wrong. Um, and again, it's, it's all hypothetical. You don't know how the game would have played out, eleven v eleven. You don't know how Shonan would have approached the game and whether San French would have been able to pit them off with with some breaks or something. But yeah, Shonan are incredibly hard done by to to leave without any points um, from that one. Um, yeah, terrible, terrible decisions, both of them. But yeah, I would, I would, I would be inclined to kind of defend the referee and, and pin most of the blame for that on the, on the VAR because it's it's his job to to flag up the fact that the initial decision was wrong and for whatever reason he he decided not to. Yeah, so a very uh, tough one to take uh, for for Seanan on Saturday. Those uh, couple of de- huge decisions going against them. One uh, just after the first ten minutes have been played, and then uh, yes, the uh, the last with uh, just under fifteen to go, and uh, that was ultimately enough for Hiroshima to uh, to win the day. And um, yeah, I guess. Keep pace with the uh, the, the top three. They're uh, they're seven points behind. 
Kobe uh, at the summit at the moment. Um, well, just one more before you move on to Cerezo, Sean. And uh, we've spoken whether Yokohama F. Marinos need to or in or might go into the market for a striker in the summer. Um, what do you think Michael Skipper will do? Because he's got Nassim Ben Khalifa, he's got Pierre Sotiriu, and he's got D- uh, Douglas Vieira at his disposal. But to be blunt, um, well, Vieira aside, he, I mean, he scored some goals for them um, and, uh, you know, some late heroics at times. But we've seen a familiar story on a week-to-week basis of, uh, yeah, so many chances going begging or, as Sam said, yeah, they need 20, 25 shots to score a goal. Um, do they need to go into the market? Do they need to move somebody on to, to get somebody else in? Or what, what do you think their strategy will be uh, in the summer? Because, I mean, they're within touching distance and it might be a um, uh, an injection of fresh blood up front that might uh, propel them even closer to the summit. Um, I'm not sure. I think more than, than a striker, Mitsuta being out is a big loss because I think the way that Skibir wants the team to play is not necessarily centred upon having a, a centre forward who's going to score 20 goals. I think um, a bit like Reds in that sense, it's the the expectation is on the the second line of strike, the second line of attacking players to contribute with goals for the for the striker to pull the defence out of position to to make a nuisance of themselves. I'd, I'd heard good things about Sotirio before he arrived. He hasn't really shown that much um so far i don't know why i don't know if he's not fit i don't know if ski just doesn't rate him or if he doesn't fit the the team style or what it is um but i think more so than than bringing in another striker i think trying to to get somebody to replicate what um midster provided last season um when he was playing in his in his best position is going to be more important um i mean they've only scored 18 goals um, which is almost half what, what Vissel have got. Vissel have got 32, Marinos have got 30. Um, so, yeah, it's if you're going to, if you want to be making a title push, which which I and, and a lot of other people thought Sam Fritsche were, were set to do this year, I think what they need to do is try and find somebody or some way to to, to make up for the loss of, of Midster's contributions from last season. Um, I think between the three strikers they've got there for the for the way they try to play, I think they've probably got enough at centre forward. Whether they try to bring in someone um, to to play in that second line, um, yeah, Asano Sapporo is a it's not it's not a bad player. Maybe they shouldn't have got rid of him. Mm. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, for me, I think maybe that's that's more the key than than having a centre forward because I just don't think they really. Sam touched upon it before with Kawamura, but I think Sam Frecce's chances tend to fall to the the players joining the attacks late, and it's it's the job of the the striker to to make that space for them. Um, so yeah, they're, they're going to need somehow to. It's not easy because Midster was was a revelation last year, but I think that is that's their main problem. All right. Uh, so uh, a weekly update from you on uh, Hiroshima, Sam, or should we? <laughs> do you feel like you're repeating yourself and you're happy with the Sean's answer there? Should we move on to the Cerezo game? Yeah, yeah. Like every game this season for Hiroshima has been almost <laughs> exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. 
Fair enough then. All right. So, um, yeah, it looked like a, uh, a a pleasant day at the office for uh, Cerezo on Sunday at home then, uh, Sam, uh, against uh, Yokohama FC. Uh, Jordi Crooks almost gave them a stunning lead just before the half hour with a, a volley from the edge of the box that came back off the post. But then uh, they did take the lead two minutes before the break when uh, Hirotaka Tamida headed in a Seiya Maikuma cross. Uh, ten minutes, uh, ten seconds rather, into the second half, Towa Yamane almost equalised for Yokohama FC after an improvised 1-2 with uh, Koki Ogawa, but uh, the ball squirmed between Kim Jin-hyun's legs and rolled the wrong side of the poster. So there's ultimately wrapping up the points in uh, inside the last five minutes when uh, Kapihaba rolled across the face of goal and uh, Hikaru Nakahara tapped in from a yard out. So two Cerezo subs sealing the points there. Sam, they might have had a, a penalty in the build-up to that um, second goal. Shinji Kagawa was uh, upended, but I think the referee played a good advantage and um, it ended with the Cerezo putting the ball in the net. So um, all's well that ends well. Um, Yokohama FC's mini-revival came to an end, but um, yeah, I guess for, for Cerezo, they took care of business and um, yeah, they uh, they kept pace themselves with the yeah the, uh, the the leading pack. Yeah, they're going well. They're not the most exciting team to watch, but they're quite functional. They seem to get the job done more often than not. And uh, yeah, this was not again not a wild performance, but they did enough. And uh, yeah, they've look, they're looking pretty decent. I mean, Shinji Kagawa back in a proper central midfield role. I thought the legs might go there with uh, Kagawa and Okano in there, but it's doing well. I thought Kagawa played very well again in this game it would have been almost certainly well I say that if it's the Shonan Far looking at this game then maybe not but it would have almost certainly been a penalty after Kagul was taken out in that build up to the second goal but yeah they looked pretty decent um Yokohama FC maybe just one game too far for them they didn't create too much bar that one chance uh, that you mentioned it was Cerezo a very solid defensively even without Matej Jonic who's been away for the last three league games but they're yeah pretty decent they don't commit too much forward but they've got good enough players uh, when they do attack to take their chances so yeah very professional performance from Cerezo yeah not exciting but I don't think they'll mind necessarily if they're up there challenging for the ACL positions. Yeah, they're just uh, chugging along, I think, at the moment, um, Sean. And, uh, yeah, three straight wins for Cerezo while, yeah, not really hitting the heights, but, again, flying under the radar. And, um, yeah, they're uh, uh, racking up the points, and that's seen them, uh, yeah, climb the table steadily. And there they are in the fifth in the table level with Hiroshima. We'll move off them and head to the Asian champions, Sean. Uh, Urawa back to uh, winning ways uh, after a draw in their previous league game, they travelled to Kyoto on Saturday night and uh, they took the lead uh, seven minutes into the second half. A, a David Moberg cross was uh, headed goalwards by Yashinzo Kuroki and uh, yeah, deflected past the keeper, Gakuji Ota, by uh, a Kyoto defender, Shinotsuke Fukuda. So that was uh, Reds on their way and um, they wrapped up the points Finally, in uh, in second half stoppage time, when uh, Jose Kante 
uh, scored his uh, first J1 goal yeah, after uh, uh, Alta had saved a long uh, Atsuki Ito drive. And um, yeah, Reds are getting some uh, some personnel back. I guess all of the hangovers have finally subsided after the uh, the ACL victory and uh, much more of a, a full strength at Reds 11 that we'd gotten used to in the build-up to the ACL final uh, back in action. And um, it, look, it did look an entertaining game at, uh, at Sanger Stadium. And they, uh, yeah, the visitors had enough uh, to get past the hosts. Yeah, I think what what is so key for Reds is, is that defence. It, it does look so solid. Um, possibly, maybe with the exception of Nagoya, possibly the best um, on paper, certainly, um, in the division. Really, really solid. The left-back is, is still a bit of a question mark. I think um, the manager, whose name I still haven't quite worked out how to pronounce properly, uh, I still think he, he's not entirely sure who who he sees as his first choice at left-back. Uh, I'm still not convinced by Akimoto as a, as a left-back, as, as hard as he does work. Um, but defensively, they're solid. Uh, Iwao and Ito at the base of midfield is a is a good good pairing uh they both bring different things to the game um it's it's just further forward where reds i think maybe are are shy of of making a real push um for the title this season i just don't think they have quite enough um i, I know he's out injured at the moment but yoshio koizumi is, is a player that continues to um completely baffle me he's the the pearl jam of of our reds i just i just don't get it as much as i i watch him i just don't get what what everyone else sees um i don't i don't think he's contributed any goals or any assists all season and, and for the position he plays for the club he plays that is for me is, is unforgivable i think it's just not it doesn't make sense um i, I like the look of, of yasui the youngster i think okobo is a decent player too um sekine is another player who i just don't i don't really get they, they've had about six managers um since since Sekine has been at the club and they all seem to pick him so obviously um they know more than I do so he must do something but I just think there are other options that, that could add a little bit more um for the team going forward you mentioned David Moberg has, has finally come back into the picture he is certainly someone that I from what we saw of him in his, his early days at Reds should be playing a lot more regularly um but yeah, I think what we did see from this was last season Reds lost away to to Kyoto on the first day of the season away. Mm. This year um, they left it a bit late um, to get the second goal and see it out. But I just think this year they were a more compact, more solid proposition. And once they were one nil up, um, as we saw in the in the ACL as well, and as we've seen a few times in the league this season, they they, they just look composed defensively. They don't look like they're clinging on. They look like they're they're seeing the game out. Obviously, the the centre back pairing is, I think, crucial to that. But yeah, they just look a more confident outfit overall. Um, yeah, I, I think a title push is is probably going to be beyond them, but um, certainly they should be well in the mix um, for at least applying pressure to the the, the two or three clubs that that, that should be um, duking it out for the for the championship. Yes, another clean sheet for Reds. Sam, or oh, as uh, as Pickle weighs in in the background, <laughs> in the background there. Um, but yeah, I mean Kyoto a little bit unlucky ten minutes into the second half when uh, Yuta Toyokawa's 
header hit the bar and then uh, Shusaku Nishikawa had to tip his uh, follow-up just over the bar. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't quite Kyoto's day, but, I mean, they uh, they did give as good as they got uh, at times throughout this one. Yeah, they did seem to have their chances. I only managed to catch the highlights of this game and going into looking at those, I saw the reaction of some Kyoto supporters and it sounded like Kyoto had been completely played off the park. They seemed very down on the way that their team was playing. So it was interesting to see the highlights. It looked a much more balanced game. There was Patrick's ridiculous overhead kick that looked like, well, that could have been a fantastic goal. I think Hirato had a chance and then the one that you mentioned off the underside of the bar. They still managed to test this Reds defence, which um, that's a positive to take away from it. But yeah, they are just so good Reds at the back. I mean, Schultz and Hoibratum, I think is, as a pairing, is probably the best uh, that there is in the league. There is that weakness that Sean mentions at left back. But yeah, through that spine of the team, they are very, very good. It's just, it was like, with Reds at the start of the season, bringing in a 36-year-old Shinzo Kroki added something to the attack which doesn't say a great deal about what's around him in that in that position so uh, yeah i think they are short of a title push but it's functional enough that they're going to get more wins than not and yeah this seemed in the end to be again a bit like cerezo a bit of a professional performance and uh, did just enough but yeah i, I agree with sure i think they're a, i think acl is a realistic aim they could get top three but i think a title push maybe just out of their reach but reds they've got plenty of finances they could be another one that's in the market in the summer maybe a shake-up of some of the foreigners because linson especially has not offered a lot at all he's not got great fitness um, history really and maybe he could be one and alex schalk as well they might maybe move those to one and maybe reinvest there i think they do need something to shake up that front line because as well as karaki has played this season I don't think that he can rely on a 36-year-old to be the main goal scorer throughout the season. Indeed, indeed. All right, then. So, uh, yeah, we're working our way through the games. And uh, with three left, uh, we'll uh, talk about perhaps the start of a Kashima-esque revival for Gumbaro Saka. Sean, it uh, remains to be seen. And there's a long way up the table, of course, between uh, Gumba Osaka in uh, 18th and bottom and uh, Antlers, who are uh, now seventh in the table. But, yeah, you spoke yourself before about how desperate their situation seemed uh, seven rounds ago with the Daiki Iwamasa uh, seemingly, uh, well, yeah, Sam and I had him out the door. It, it, uh, the, uh, the, the Antlers faithful, the Antlers front office, rather, kept faith with him. And, um, yes, now uh, they've... Uh, born fr- uh, the fruit of that decision. Uh, we'll see what happens with Danny Poyatos, but he, to say he claimed a much-needed victory uh, on Sunday away at Niigata is a massive understatement. But, uh, yeah, Shu Kurata got them off to the perfect start early doors. But I guess um, Gumbara kind of doing a Kobe from last year. Sean, we, uh, it doesn't really make sense. A squad of players uh, seemingly this deep and this talented should be struggling so mightily literally at the foot of the table. And, yeah, we're, we're waiting for them to turn it around. Was uh, Sunday the first step in the, in the right direction, do you think? Um, possibly. I think we'll, we'll have to see another game or two just because Niigata have, have been uh, struggling a bit of late. Um, they kind of, they, you know, the, the adrenaline has worn off from the start of the season. Um, there's only so many so many points they can get from um Yotaro Ito or, or Shunsuke Mito hammering shots in from thirty yards out. And I think yeah, they they need to work out um quite a few issues. Uh Alberic's Gamba, 
yeah, if you look at the if you look at the squad list, there's so much quality in there. But I, I feel like they're a bit like Yokohama FC, and that you look at it and go, well, there's there's a good team in here somewhere, but it's all a bit random, and they don't really seem to be able to settle. We we just spoke about Reds and you know their their key positions, the, the goalkeeper, the centre backs, the central midfielders. Even the players that I don't particularly rate, you know, they, Koizumi um, and, and Sekine, they're, they're regular. They play every game. The players know each other. They manage to build up a rhythm. And with Gamba, there's just so many different options. I mean, I was amazed to see that Shukurata was, was still even playing, uh, let alone let alone scoring. Um, there's just so much there. And I think, obviously, when, it, when a team's struggling, the manager is, is obviously more inclined to then keep chopping and changing, shifting things around, trying different things out until you hopefully stumble upon the right combination. But yeah, I still think there's there's room for them to improve. Um, I tend to agree with Sam. But I don't think uh, Danny Poyatos, I always have to pause before I say his name properly <laughs> because it's just, it's so difficult to not, to not call him what I want to. Um, but uh, I, I don't think, yeah, I mean, Tokushima last year, drew about 46 of their 42 games in J2 or something. They just, it's, it's uh, sometimes, you know, that there's that idea that there's this, there's more focus on the, the approach, the philosophy than the, what, what the games are played for, which is ultimately to, to try and beat the opponent. Um, and that's all fine and good when you're Ange Postacoglu and you're managing Celtic in, in the SPL and you've got the team to be able to do that. But, Sometimes you you need, um, I don't know what what you need. You know, you need some kind of grit. You need something to just work out how to win the game in front of you um, when when things are not going your way. Um, so I haven't seen many Gamba games in full this season. It's just been highlights and, and bits and pieces. And I think there've been games where they don't they don't look to be playing badly. Um, I watched, you know, I watched the the Cereso Yokohama FC game, and Yokohama FC had very little by way of intent. It was it was sort of attack v defence for a lot of the game. I mean, the first half was pretty much a Jordi Krugs against against Yokohama. It seemed um, Gamba seemed to have been putting up a a better uh, a better fight of things. They've been trying to play some some football they've been a bit unlucky with with referee decisions with with bits and pieces but I, I never think you can really use that as an excuse if you're down near the bottom of the table or at the bottom of the table you deserve to be there um there, there isn't a referee conspiracy there isn't you know anything going on that is is putting you down there every every team has decisions that go against them every team has as players picking up injuries and ultimately it, you know, it's a cliche but i think they do pretty much balance out over the course of the season um whether um whether Poyatos is able to to right the ship and move the team up I, I still don't think they're much more than a than a steady mid-table team um with the with the players they've got um but yeah obviously picking up a win like this is, is going to change things if they lost this game it's another defeat it's a defeat against a team that's not in especially good form that affects things by winning it suddenly training the next day is much easier the players are going to look ahead to the next games with with more confidence um and that that can change things but i I think it's still a little bit too early to be uh to be declaring it as a as a corner turn i think we we need to see another game or two and see how they how they go in those matches 
Yeah, so Sam, uh, yeah, a very frustrating afternoon for, for Niigata, who had uh, over 70% uh, possession and uh, more than double uh, Gumba's shots. But um, yeah, we're undone by uh, Kurata's early goal, then a goal just before the break from uh, from Juan Alano, uh, though uh, Albert X did get it back to 2-1 shortly into the second half, uh, shortly after the restart when uh, Michael Fitzgerald headed in, but then uh, Keisuke Kurokawa re-established Gumba's uh, two-goal buffer, and uh, despite uh, Shunsuke Mito's uh, long-range effort, uh, almost spilled into his own net by Masaki Higashiguchi, uh, yeah, Gumba were able to see out the, uh, the victory by a two-goal margin, so um, yeah, I guess along uh, similar lines to, to my question to Sean, did you see any uh, green uh, uh, sprouts of uh, of growth for for Gumba here? But uh, ultimately, I mean the stats don't look great for them, but they were they won the most important stat on the afternoon, I suppose. Yeah, I'm I'm going to give a fairly similar answer to Sean here because it's Niigata, and uh, they're quite of an enigma because they've played some incredible games, Hiroshima. Uh, Kawasaki, the win against F. Marinos two weeks ago, where they look like they can go toe-to-toe with anyone, and they pull out these really good victories, but then against the maybe the, the lesser teams in the league, they just sort of take their foot off the gas a little bit, they don't play with the same intensity, and defensively they are woeful, like Chiba and Michael James, I think their day is long gone, because they can't really keep up with anyone, the third goal I think is an embarrassment from whoever was involved in that, it was just a chip ball through from Ishige and there's three Niigata players there that can all beat Kurokawa to the ball and they all stop and just go oh after you after you after you and Kurokawa nips in and that's just kind of the way they've been in a lot of these games they kind of lose concentration I think when they're not really in that that battle against the team they have to be up for or you have to play at your best to beat F Marinos so they seem to be focused in on that and they can then pull out really good performances but just kind of lose it against Gamba all three goals were really simple ones for Gamba to create and Niigata uh, just didn't react to it so yeah I'd like to see Gamba up against uh, a stronger opposition try and get a victory against that because yeah I I was thinking I was talking to Johnny Nickel as we were building for our team of the half season extravaganza and I just thought this was a game that Gamble were going to win so uh, it will give them confidence as Sean said earlier just confidence in this league could get them on a run as it did Yokohama FC it got them three wins in four they climbed a few places Gamba can quite easily do the same with the players that they have at their disposal but uh, yeah still want to see a little bit more because yeah Niigata I thought made it a little bit too easy. Yeah, fair enough then. So it did turn out to be a, a great weekend for Gumba. Not only the day one, but yeah, basically all the teams around them failed too. So uh, yes, they've uh, they've closed the gap not only on second from bottom, Seanan, but basically yeah, all the uh, the, the rest of uh, the bottom six. Uh, so uh, yeah, maybe sign of a turnaround there for Danny Potatoes. All right, so uh, two games left. Uh, Sunday, so, uh, also on Sunday, Kawasaki hosted Kashiwa Raisol, for whom uh, new manager, same old defensive cock-ups. Uh, from their throw inside their own half in the 21st minute, Yugo Tatsuta's poor touch was pounced on by uh, Yu Kobayashi, who fired across a helpless Kenta Matsumoto to give 
hosts Frontale the lead. Although uh, Frontale did try to give the goal back in the 34th minute. A goalkeeper, Naoto Kami Fukamoto, was uh, 35 yards from his goal when he uh, miscontrolled an overhit ball back to him. Uh, Mao Hosoya's shot on the slide trying to capitalize uh, just uh, uh, just bounced wide. Hosoya uh, firing on, uh, on goal from about 40 yards out, but yes, narrowly off target. But then, uh, yeah, this game was wrapped up uh, just before the break by uh, Kyohei Noborizato, the uh, somewhat uh, unlikely uh, goal scorer for Frontale. He, uh, he fired in a brilliant strike from just inside the box after cutting in from the left. Uh, Sam, you will have been uh, gutted to see Ryota Oshima hit, shoot against the post when it looked uh, easier to score 10 minutes after the break. But um, uh, yeah, this uh, this win saw Kawasaki uh, edge back into the top half of the table. And um, yeah, uh, again, uh, they were they were handed the opener here. And again, it looked like a, a training exercise at times, especially in the first half. But uh, yeah, I guess a, a reminder of uh, what Frontale are capable of at, at times, uh, it seems, this year. Yeah, some of the football I played was very good, especially in that first half. I think the work that they did to create the Naborizato goal just uh, is kind of what that we're used to with Kawasaki, and it was yeah really nicely taken. But yeah, I just thought Kashiwa offered very little resistance and had to help them on their way. I, I don't think he was even ready. Like I saw the throw in happen, and uh, he didn't seem like he looked like he was ready to take the throw. I, I don't or ready to have to have pressure on him. So I think well, uh, what were Kawasaki meant to just give them the ball back because nobody seemed to look like it was active. But yeah, really poor from Tatsuda. Yeah, it's difficult for Ihara. Yes, he's going to try and uh, upgrade that defence, sort them out a little bit, but he's not got a lot to work with. I mean, they need to either get Tanaka back from the under-20s and maybe he comes in. Otherwise, they need to find another centre-back. Tatsuda, unfortunately, is just not good enough. And uh, uh, this was really poor from him. But yeah, once Frontale took the lead, it was a procession, really, which it hasn't been for a long time with Kawasaki. So finally, Neil Dednam might have enjoyed a nice, relaxing home game to watch his side. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Sean, as as we said earlier, it's the first time we've had you on this season. So, I mean, this is certainly not your father's Kawasaki Frontale, is it? And uh, they're very down in the very unfamiliar position of uh, of ninth, having spent um, so many weeks so far this year down in the bottom six. So, um, yeah, we, I mean, the, the the players that have lost over the last couple of years is well documented, and um, yeah, the, the, the defensive. Uh, personnel struggles uh, uh, along similar lines. So, um, what sort of a hope do you have for uh, for Frontale to to maybe mount a, an ACL push? Um, how uh, how do you think they will uh, progress throughout the season? And is the only way up for them, or is this going to be a, a season of uh, mid-table mediocrity? Do you think? Um, no, I think they'll I think they'll get back up to the the top six or so I think they've still got enough quality um obviously as you, you touched upon there they've just lost so many not even good players but but really like really as, as Jamie Redknapp would say top 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 players um <laughs> in recent years and that ultimately will take a toll um and I I'm I'm always amazed at how many injuries they have um I think Marcinho is injured again um and I, I do I do sometimes wonder if there's something about 
about the training methods, about about the physical conditioning. If there's something that that Oniki or Oi staff are doing or not doing, because they seem to have obviously there's players like Oshima who are just um, just sort of like Fabergé eggs. They're so so fragile that they just get injured by a by a change in the in the wind direction or something. But but they they just seem to get so many injuries. Um, and obviously, you know, when you're losing players of of the quality of of Marcinho, of Jessio, of of Oshima, of, of Kobayashi, of Leandro Damian, it it's going to take a toll eventually. If you if you've just got one out at a time, you can maybe cover up. But when you've got three, four, five of them out at once, and you're having to play twenty year olds that are just coming in for their first season, when you're having to recall defenders from Jeff United um, who've gone out on loan to to cover things at the back, it, it doesn't obviously suggest that, that you've got the depth there that you need um but they still have a very good coach they still have a lot of a lot of very very good players and i think yeah they're more than capable of putting together runs of two three four five defeats uh sorry uh, wins in a row here or, or even yeah games without defeat sorry should i say um yeah they're, they're obviously not the, the kawasaki that we saw uh sort of two three five years ago but I, I don't think they're I don't think they're mid table mediocrity yet. Um Raiso yeah, Raiso is an odd one because they've I, I I would say they're more than Gamba or one where you look at the squad and just go there there's clearly enough quality there to be comfortably mid table, if not even making an, an outside push at a an ACL push. Um, defensively, obviously, they're they're lacking quite a bit of depth. But, but further forward, midfield and, and and strikers, they've got a lot of a lot of quality. Um, I wrote something about them a couple of weeks ago, and I after their draw with Kyoto, I spoke to Taiyo Koga and and Tatsuda, the two centre backs, and I was kind of surprised at, at how positive they seemed. Um, obviously, players always try to to say positive stuff, but they genuinely didn't seem that that fussed by the the situation. They felt confident that they were going to be able to turn it around. Um, I think in part that was maybe to do with the fact that it seemed at that point that Yokohama FC were already relegated. Um, mm. So there was maybe the idea of like, yeah, things aren't going well, but if we can ride this out and push up to finish in, you know, 13th, 14th, we'll be far enough away from relegation. And then suddenly... Yokohama won those three games in four, including against Reiso. And um, yeah, obviously it led to, to Nelsinho's departure and whatever else. Uh, I, st- I still feel like Reiso probably have enough to pull themselves away from it. Um, but yeah, not not by much now. Um, but Kawasaki, yeah, I think they they should they should have enough to be yeah. Um, certainly not up where they where they've been in in recent years, but I don't think they'll be hanging around in the with the dregs for for too much longer. Yeah, uh, the dregs. That's where uh, FC Tokyo uh, operates. So yeah, Kawasaki will want to move <laughs> away from there very very quickly. Um, well, we, haven't, yes. we haven't spoken about FC Tokyo. You keep just you keep skimming by them. What what, what oh, do you don't. think is what do you think is the <laughs> I've, I've got my ideas, but what what do you think as someone that watches them every week? What what do you think is the reason that they've just seemed incapable of of making that next step? Oh, jeez, how long have you got? Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I, 
uh, yeah, this is like a 15-part miniseries, me uh, trying to stumble through a, a, a muddled dancer every week about FC Tokyo because uh, <laughs> they're, uh, yeah, it's the, the mentality of the club as an, as an overall um, theme, I think, Sean. And, they, yeah, they can't get out of their um, suburban mindset and they can't, um, they can't think bigger, and that's from the, uh, the, the very top down, even though they've got new ownership, it hasn't really... Um, done enough, I think, to change the, the, the mindset of the place. Um, and I don't know, they need to get out of Kodaira, they need to get out of Chofu, they need to put down some proper roots in the city and like reinvent themselves as uh, as an inverted commas big club because they're, uh, they're a big club in name only. And um, it's quite simply, they're never going to go anywhere and they're going to get dominated like they got dominated in the first half uh, away at Kobe. Uh, again and again and um yeah i i think this manager seems like a terrific fella but i don't think he's um ultimately going to be the the right man and whether they'll ever find the right man i don't know um uh, it's uh um yeah I for this season you can just about write it off already i think it's an it's an afterthought it's a matter of if they uh, if they want to give him a third year or if they want to turn it turn it over again and and try and give somebody else a go. Uh, I, I don't know, but um, yeah. Well, what, what I find odd is I've ever since I've lived in Japan since 2009, I've always just looked at, at Tokyo's squads and they've always just been like so mediocre. There's mm. so many players who are basically six out of 10 players. And I, I think that now when I look at not even the starting 11, but you look at the whole squad and I, I, I wonder, yeah, because obviously the manager came in and was talking about very big things and not just about the way he wanted the team to play but how he wanted the club to be and all that stuff and I obviously the the buck stops with him to an extent but I, I do wonder why the club didn't try to bring in the kind of players to 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 give to to you know to produce the kind of football that that he says he wants I mean obviously he wants the team to play out from the back in the you know the traditional Barcelona style, and having Jakub Slovic in goal is not not the building block you want for that. As as good as a shot stopper as he is, he's not the kind of goalkeeper you want building out from the back. You look at the the midfield and Keigo Higashi is still playing. Shuto Abe is all right, but nothing special. Tsukagawa came in from Kawasaki, all right. Yoma Watanabe, yeah, Nakagawa was good four years ago for about six, seven, eight months, he hit a purple patch. There's just so much, so many average players. And I just wonder how they can't, you know, as you said, it's Tokyo. It's, it's a city that not only players all around the country, but all around the world should be tempted to come and play in. Yeah. And they just, the club for whatever reason, doesn't seem to be able or, or willing to, to make that happen. And it, it is odd because yeah, they, they should, they should be so much better um and yeah i mean yeah even at the start of this season i looked at the squad and just went well, i can't see them finishing much higher than seventh or eighth again mm. um and it seems to be like that every season and I, yeah i don't really know yeah i don't really know what the plan is um longer term it looked like bringing in uh albert was you know it was going to be a three four five year plan and they were really going to get behind him but they don't really seem to have backed him so far in terms of the the personnel. So yeah, it's it's kind of a strange one. 
Oh, yes, it is. It's most definitely a strange one. Oh, well, I, I have to apologize to the listeners for that FC Tokyo tangent an hour and 20 minutes into the podcast. And I have to say, <laughs> I was basically just covering my tracks against any Kawasaki supporter who wanted to bite back at the mention of uh, Kawasaki and mid-table mediocrity in the same sentence. Because, uh, yes, <laughs> don't worry, I'm well aware that's where FC Tokyo have resided for uh, the majority of their time in J1. So, um yeah, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's a tangent that I uh, yeah, I think we can park uh, for now. But I appreciate the uh, the, the your thoughts as well, Sean. Uh, and um, I uh, yeah, it's um, as I said, the, this season is pretty much already uh, a lost cause. But uh, anyway, we'll uh, we'll wrap up the uh, the match day fifteen uh, results by talking about the only draw. Uh, from the slate, it came down in Tosu on Saturday. It finished uh, Sagan 2, Kashima Antlers 2. And, well, yeah, Tokyo from the, the biggest metropolis in the world. And, um, yeah, uh, for a team from a deepest, darkest, Ibaraki, who are the the J-League powerhouse, uh, yeah, went down to Tosu. And, um, yeah, they, uh, they made it seven unbeaten, uh, although they had to do so in dramatic fashion, Sam, and uh, pretty much your favourite type of goal, the, uh, the diving header, and uh, scored by one of your favourites, Yuma Suzuki, in the 91st minute to, uh, to rescue a point for uh, Antlers just when it looked like their uh, long unbeaten run might be coming to an end. Oh, it was a glorious goal. Say what you like about him as a person or whatnot, but you can't deny he's an incredible player and he will drag Kashima back for any depths. And this was a, a terrific diving header. It's just put his body on the line, just threw himself at it. It's a terrific goal. And I just thought this game was full of incredible headers. Suzuki played one. He got an assist with a header across for the first Kashima goal. And maybe even the pick of the bunch was Naganuma's, where the ball over the goalkeeper for the opening goal for Tosu. And he has to really arc himself back to head back across goal for Moria to score. So, yeah, yeah, it was a bit in the air. It might not be the purest sort of football, but I thought some of the headers in this game were fantastic. And, yeah, you you know me very well. That diving header is my favourite goal and there aren't many better than this one that Suzuki produced yeah absolutely tremendous now as we wrap this up Sean uh, we know that you have the connections at uh, J League House and um, I'm just wondering do, do you find the uh, the comedy in the way that the uh, the J League awards uh, or doesn't award uh, own goals uh, to be uh, really fascinating or does it do your head in? Because, um, you know, regular listeners know I mention this pretty much o- on a weekly basis. But when uh, Tosu reestablished their lead with the 20 minutes to go, according to the J-League through uh, Yuji Ono, uh, I mean, there's no debating it's Ono's shot from uh, the edge of the box. Uh, but uh, it, when it hits the post, then comes back off the antlers keeper Tomoki Hayakawa, but then goes into the net. The uh, the, the the way that the uh, the J League awards that goal to the player rather than the international convention of it being uh, an own goal, um, let alone not naming the, uh, the the player who scores an own goal when they actually do decide it is an own goal. I mean, this is uh, yeah. Um, I guess it's it's just uh, more fodder for me on a weekly basis, but. Um, could you have a word or uh, do you actually enjoy the uh, the sly comedy in it? Um, it's funny you should say that because um, for the the next episode of J-League Monthly, we were, me and Harry were both sent um, sort of short questionnaires for our chat, uh, different things, you know, looking back over the 30 years and, and the usual stuff. And one of the questions was, you know, 
where you know things that you want how you want the J League to improve coming you know in the next 30 years or whatever and sadly we ran out of time and weren't talk about it but the one the only thing that i put down was please announce who scores the own goals yeah, right. because i thought i thought that was like a sort of it would be an interesting segue into that idea of the jd being a bit more open a bit more i mean you touched upon it a bit in in last week's pod but um you know not making fun of own goals not making fun of errors or, or players getting sent off or doing bad things but you don't need to brush them under the carpet anymore with social media, with games being streamed. Everyone can watch everything and go back and look at it and share it on social media anyway. So why not? You know, why try to pretend it didn't happen? Um, and that was the kind of point I wanted to say to them was, you know, looking ahead now, the JD needs to realise that people can see everything and there's no point pretending stuff didn't happen. Own goal, not saying who scored an own goal. I understand in kids football, you, you don't want to discourage children and make them feel so so ashamed, so upset that they scored an own goal that they don't want to play again. Once you're a professional athlete playing in front of tens of thousands of people in the stadium, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions on the, on the television, you, you, you can put their name. Um, and yeah, that one, I mean, yeah, I just thought it was, it was, yeah, it was accepted that kind of if the shot was going in anyway, you give it to the the, the guy who took the shot. But if it hits the post and is coming out and then hits the goalkeeper, it's an own goal. So, um, yeah, it was it, that was an odd one. Um, but that's yeah, that is obviously how things are done here. It's um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it, it's infuriating. It doesn't bug me that much. I find it, I find it quite <laughs> funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is it is silly, and I think it is again, as I said, it, it was the reason I wanted to raise that as my my kind of thing to improve is I think it opens up a door then that it is that is taking the next step then to be in a proper how do you want to put it a proper grown-up league where you you accept the good and the bad and you discuss everything and that's how you improve you, you need to discuss the the stuff that is going wrong or the mistakes that are made as well um you know linked to that is is the, the fact that you know the var decision saying that the san Friche shonen game any other country in the world the commentators the pundits would be saying why, you know, why has the VAR not intervened? What That's clearly wrong. What you get in Japan is usually radio silence. Just the commentators look at it. They can see that it's clearly wrong, but they won't say it. They just sit there in silence, wait till the replay finishes and then carry on. And that is not conducive to to a healthy, <laughs> it sounds deep, but like a healthy society. You don't improve by not by not pointing out things that are wrong. Mm. Um and one example of that is when you, that happens and then players go abroad from from the J League where you're so sheltered. Um, you know, even earlier on this season, I, I saw that Furuhashi was was being criticised by some Celtic fans because he wasn't scoring in big games. Um, that That's how it works in Europe. That's obviously ridiculous, but that's how things work. If you have two or three bad games, your own fans are going to start to turn on you and and that that itself is obviously not you know there's many problems with that culture as well but it's the reality if you want to go and test yourself at the highest level um and if you spend five six seven years playing in the j league and then go to europe you're you're in for a hell of a shock because things don't really work like this in in many other countries so yeah i I completely agree with you If, if someone scores an own goal don't just put own goal in in katakana under the in the score sheet tell us which player scored the own goal 
um hopefully one day they will but um yeah change takes change takes a while over here it does indeed yeah certainly not holding my breath but um yeah, as I say, it uh, does give me uh, something to talk about uh, on a very <laughs> regular basis on the pod. No question about that. All right, then. So, yeah, it was a, a huge uh, round in uh, in the top flight as uh, we edge closer to the halfway point of the season. And, um, yeah, I can tell the listeners that, um, yeah, Sam and Johnny have been hard at work on their shortlists for the the team of the half season and it's going to be some episode I tell you as we try and uh, piece together a uh, a best 11 of the top flight campaign so far uh, but uh, yeah before that we've still got obviously a, a couple of match days to go uh, indeed before the international break as well which uh, does fall very kindly for us here at uh, J Talk Towers and gives us an extra week uh, yeah to get that uh, team of the half season episode in so uh, yeah the first things first match day 16 uh, comes up uh, this weekend there's a uh, seven games on Saturday and two on Sunday now Sean I'll give you a couple of uh, seconds to uh, yeah call the uh, the the slate up on your uh, screen or your handheld device as is the custom I'll go to Sam first uh, Sam, what is your pick of the weekend? Sam's pick of the weekend. Well, uh, just first, um, midweek, Aurora Reds versus San Fletcher Hiroshima, one of the catch-up games for Reds after their ACL exploits. I think that is a fantastic game. And Reds have got two this week against Hiroshima and then against Kashima Antler. So I'm going to have a double header, and they're going to both be my game of the week. Because I think, yeah, both really interesting ties, both teams both games between teams that will be eyeing the title, at least an ACL uh, position. I think, yeah, if Reds can come away from these with two victories, they put themselves right up there and uh, maybe as potential contenders. But, yeah, I think both of those games will be really exciting. So, yeah, get yourself to Saitama Stadium at some point this week. That's a great shout. And, yes, that had uh, slipped my mind that the the Reds-Hiroshima game was coming up in the week. So thank you for reminding me about that, Uh, Sam. All right, then. So, uh, Sean, what is Sean's pick of the weekend? Sean's pick of the weekend. There's two, but I'm going to go for the boring one, the obvious one. I I think Vissel against Kawasaki. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, we we obviously spoke quite a bit about both teams. um, And I think that could be, yeah, this could be one of the tests to see what what Kawasaki, Kobe are made of well and also what Kawasaki are made of to be honest this will be yeah this will be a real challenge for for Vissel um they've had a couple of games where they've taken leads and then got pegged back I think they they lost the one against Marinos didn't they they were tuning up and lost 3-2 I believe um so yeah in the in the big games they've sometimes fluffed their lines so if if they can win this game um especially if they can win it as convincingly or with a, as convincing a performance as they put in against Tokyo. Obviously, they only won by the one goal in the end. But if they can win this game, it will, it will give them a real um, a real boost of confidence. Um, and yeah, obviously, pretty much put the final nail in any kind of resurgence for Kawasaki. But if Kawasaki can get the win, can can halt Vissel's surge at the top and, and show that they're still not to be to be written off. So I think, yeah, both teams will, will be going into that Obviously, knowing that they're they're playing a good team, but knowing that if they can come out with all three points, it's, it could really um could really serve to to energize their campaign. So so that that's the one I'll go with. 
yeah, ter- uh, tremendous choices. Uh, Sean's begins the match day on uh, Saturday at 2 p.m. And, uh, yeah, well, the second of Sam's choices uh, finishes it on uh, Sunday evening with, uh, yeah, Reds hosting Kashima. I'm going to go really, really left field here and uh, talk about the Saturday night game um, at uh, 7 o'clock. It'll be on uh, BS1 uh, as well as the uh, zone, of course. Um I, I'm expecting, well, um, let's see, I'm, I was going to go for seven or eight. Uh, I'm expecting at least five goals when uh, Kashiwa host Sapporo. Uh, so for a neutral, I think this is going to be must-watch TV. Um, yeah, you never know. Sapporo might score all five goals, or, or maybe Racehall might get a couple as well, of course, as the Sapporo defence does tend to be accommodating at times. But, uh, yes, this is purely for the neutral. Um, I think for entertainment's sake, uh, yes, you could do a lot worse than uh, Hitachi Dai on Saturday night. So, uh, yeah, I think we've got your bases covered there, listeners, with the three really interesting games uh, to check out over the Top Flight weekend. And, um, well, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you back on the pod, Sean. We'll have to make sure it's not to seven months before we do it again. And, um, yeah, as much for the, the tremendous chat in the green room that, yeah, we're going to have to make a, I think, a special tier on Patreon for uh, for for our uh, best uh, supporters to tune into because that was absolute gold. Uh, but, unfortunately, yes, it's all lost to history. But, uh, yeah, it was tremendous to catch up with you first and foremost. And, yeah, get your thoughts on uh, pretty much every team in the top flight as we approach the halfway mark of the season. So uh, thank you very much for that, mate. No worries at all, mate. Pleasure to be back on. And yeah, I hope it's not seven months because then it will probably be January and there'll be, there'll be nothing <laughs> happening. We'll just be analysing the transfers in and out, which to be fair is probably a two-hour pod on its uh, on its, on its own because there's a lot of transfers in Japan in the off-season. But yeah, hopefully, yeah, not that long. Yep, tremendous stuff, tremendous stuff. And uh, yeah, continued success and congratulations again on the uh, the permanent residency. And uh, well, yeah, Sam, um, it sounds like you got Pickle under control there uh, mid-episode, so that's uh, it's great to see she's calmed down. But I know she does have uh, have her own opinions uh, on uh, what goes on in the top flight. But uh, yeah, tremendous episode. Uh, great to catch up with Sean. And um, yeah, looking forward to catch up with Johnny in a couple of weeks as well. Uh, in the meantime, we do have a couple of uh, big rounds still to be played. And uh, yeah, Match Day 16 does look an interesting one, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I'm not sure if Pickle just really wanted to speak to Sean this week or was particularly vocal on what happened over the weekend. But yeah, I had to spend most of the episode with the mute button on. So uh, yeah, just she's calmed down now. I'll go and take her for a walk and settle her out. But yeah, it should be a really interesting week as well. And we're getting closer and closer to the great time of the season when the early kickoffs kind of vanish and I get to start at 10 a.m. in the morning. Oh, tremendous. I know you always look forward to that, uh, Sam. All right, then. So, uh, yeah, we'll leave it there. That's it for this week's episode of the JTalk podcast. Sam and I would like to thank Sean Carroll ever so much for returning to guest with us this week. We'd like to thank all of our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. And listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to review J1 Match Day 16. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.